That's Psalm 77. That's the scripture passage we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, if, if, you have the, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of our blue Bibles under the chairs. Um, it's on page 540 and 541. The words will be on the screen as well. And <clears throat> I encourage you, if you don't have a, script, a Bible of your own, you can take that. That's yours. And as you're turning there, I just want to remind you, we've been in this series of, of the Psalms, a Psalm series this summer, for a few weeks. We took a break last week, but we're back in it this week. And we've been looking at how God addresses different seasons of life uh, for us. And so uh, the book of Psalms, uh, just a brief kind of reminder, it's a beautiful combination of words that God has given us. He's, he's given us these words that we can actually speak back to him in worship. God, through the Psalms, teaches us how we can express our emotions in a healthy uh, way. And we've looked at Psalm 1, our first week, which uh, centers on, the, on God's word and meditating on God's word and how that affects every season of life. We then turned to Psalm 3 and we looked at uh, shame. Psalm 16, we reflected on discontentment. And then Psalm 23, we looked at fear. So if you weren't here for any of those, but those would be an encouragement to you, I would, en- I would encourage you to go to the website. We have those for you to listen to, listen back through. But this morning, we're going to look at despair uh, through the lens of Psalm 77, a psalm of lament. And you'll find uh, a general overview of the book of Psalms. Nearly half of them are psalms of lament. Sixty-five of them, actually, are psalms of lament. And this speaks to the amount, this amount speaks to the importance of this theme in the book of Psalms. And also, I think, speaks to God's care for us to give, he knows that we live in a fallen and broken world, and so he provides these for us to reflect on and to also speak back to him when we don't have the words to say. So if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, and by the way, you're going to see the word, uh, I didn't say this in the last service, but you're going to see the word Selah uh, a couple times in this psalm. Though That is simply a marker for a pause. Uh, we, we don't exactly know... 100% the intent behind that, but we think it was a musical interlude or some sort of psalm, uh, a pause in the psalm. So just keep that in mind. I, don't, I won't read those aloud, but they're in there. You'll see them. Um, let me read this passage for us, and then we will pray together. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the, Lord, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work 
and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great, like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time together that we get to study this word, uh, this psalm from Asaph. We thank you for caring for us in such a way that you give us these psalms to minister to us. So would they minister to us, this one in particular, this morning? For those who are in despair, who are feeling down, who are feeling abandoned or alone, I pray God, you would speak to them specifically this morning to encourage their hearts. God, we pray for our lead pastor, Chipper, who is away on vacation, that I, I pray that he and his family this week have had a restful time together, a meaningful time together, and that you would encourage them even as they're away. We thank you for Chipper and his ministry to us. Uh, God, would you bless that? Would you bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in seminary, um, I read a brief biography on um, a man named William Cooper. He was a British uh, poet and hymnist of the 18th century. He, for, if you're interested, it's spelt C-O-W-P-E-R, but it's pronounced Cooper. And you can check him out. He wrote no notable hymns such as, Oh, for a closer walk with God, There is a fountain filled with blood, which we sang a, a few moments ago, and God moves in a mysterious way. He was mentored by and a contemporary of John Newton. You may be familiar with that name. He was uh, an ex-slave trader turned pastor. He wrote the words to Amazing Grace. And um, he fought, uh, that is William Cooper fought, a long, a lifelong battle with what was then called melancholy, but what we would call like severe depression. He attempted suicide multiple times unsuccessfully, and he even resided in an, in an insane asylum for a season. He wrestled with doubt, with despair, with abandonment, many feelings that I think we've all experienced on some level one way or another. It became so severe at times that he even shared with close friends letters to John Newton that he believed in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That is, that this idea this, this, that we find in Scripture that when we become believers in Christ, when we are saved by Christ, that Christ will keep us to the end, that we won't lose our salvation. He believed in that doctrine, but that he didn't believe it included him. That at times he even believed that he was reprobate and condemned to hell despite believing in the saving work of Jesus. Depression was a lifelong struggle for him, but you can find in much of his writing him fighting for joy in God. 
Read some of his poems or hymns, and you will find him fighting for truth to speak in the midst of the silence that he often felt. This morning's passage is written by a man in a season not unlike something William Cooper uh, would have experienced. Asaph was a musician in King David's court, and he is experiencing some sort of despair. We don't know the cause, but we can feel the intensity. This psalm is a beautiful yet dark picture of the inner heart of a man devoted to God. And I wanted to take a look again at this psalm, look at the progression it takes Asaph as well as us as the audience through, and discern what is God teaching us, through, uh, teaching us about ourselves, about him, and about seasons of despair through this psalm. Asaph in Psalm 77 shows us what it means to look to God in the midst of despair, to recall his past faithfulness, and to trust in his future grace, which gives us our outline for this morning. We see Asaph do three simple things. We see him first speak, listen, and then trust. And I say simple, but I don't equate simple with easy. These three things can be extremely difficult in the midst of despair yet they are extremely beneficial. So let's take a look at this first point, speak. This is really coming from the first nine verses here. The first three, we look at this kind of progression of events. First, Asaph begins with prayer, confident prayer. He knows that when he's struggling, he needs to seek God, almost like he's done this before, as if this isn't the first time he's experienced this despair. But it appears that it's not working this time. God does not reveal himself or relieve Asaph's suffering immediately. His soul, it says, refuses to be comforted. It's not working. When when he remembers God, it says he moans. When he meditates, his spirit faints. Remembering the Lord is doing the exact opposite of what he had hoped. We find that he is exhausted from seeking the Lord and not finding him. This is discouraging. You would expect this to be the answer. You would expect that God would relieve the pain. Why wouldn't we? In other parts of scripture, we see, um, like in James 4, 8, it promises if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And Jesus in Luke eleven nine 9 promises that if we seek, we will find. So you can see why this is discouraging. It seems to be contrary to what we read in the Bible, but is it contrary to our experience? I mean, when I, when I read this evasive, I thought, yeah, exactly. I've, I have felt this way too. So what do we do with that? Is, is God contradicting himself? Absolutely not. Later on in the psalm, we see Asaph find God. It's just not immediate. And there's a purpose in not finding immediate relief, as we'll see. In verses 4 through 9, so that's the first three verses. Verses 4 through 9, we see Asaph come to a place where he's so exhausted that he gives up on crying out to God. He says, I am so troubled, I cannot speak. So instead of talking to God, he starts reflecting. He starts kind of talking to himself. He reflects on the days of old, filled with joy. He remembers his song, this kind of positive, in the midst of the night, his kind of negative situation. But we clearly, uh, quickly see this takes him to an even more difficult place. He compares his present circumstances with his past joys, and then he begins to question God's future grace. He's in despair. Verses 7 through 9, he asks these questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? 
Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? This is where I see Asaph's honesty really comes forth in a remarkable way. I have to admit, when I have felt this way, the way he feels right now, I've, I felt like it's kind of wrong to, to ask such questions. He, but he's not holding back how he feels before God. We see an honest, transparent despair as Asaph is pouring out his anguish before the Lord. But not only before the Lord, this is interesting, think about this. He's actually doing this before fellow believers. He's writing the psalm, not in his personal journal that we know of, but to be used among the people of Israel in worship. His honesty and his transparency is remarkable. Have you ever felt like you couldn't be completely honest with someone? I mean, perhaps it's someone's asking you a, an opinion on a certain outfit, and you're not quite sure what to say. Or perhaps someone has unknowingly hurt you, and you're afraid to kind of confront them about it because you don't, you don't know how that's going to affect y'all's relationship. When I was in college, I had a roommate named Dave. Dave and I, actually, we've known each other since we were in basically preschool. His dad uh, was our music minister at my home church growing up. And David and I grew up playing percussion together through school. And then we both went on to study it in college. He was always better at percussion, and I resented that. But long story short, he and I didn't get along, especially in high school, uh, to the point where when I was faced with two schools that I auditioned for to attend college, and I found out that he was attending, actually my first pick, it greatly influenced my choice to go to the other school. I went to that other school, and it was a difficult first semester, so much so that I realized I had made a mistake, and that I really should have gone with my first pick the school where Dave attended. So I, I disenrolled from school. Um, I took a semester off. I re-auditioned at this other college and then was accepted and, and uh, moved there the summer after. But that summer, I had to find a place to live. And Dave and the others in his house were looking for a fourth housemate. So we had a phone call. And Dave, uh, actually his mother connected us because his mother knew that I was looking for a place. Dave reluctantly offered, and uh, I reluctantly agreed. And within the first few weeks of living there, one night, I went to Dave, and I, I don't really know what caused this, but I basically spilled out um, everything that I had held against him for so long, like so many, so many years. How he had hurt me uh, in this way or that. Thankfully, David, uh, he accepted the remarks reasonably well, but then he shared his side of things and how I, he had felt hurt by me. And it was here that our close friendship began. Dave became and, and still is one of my best friends. The honesty with which we shared our feelings gave way to an intimacy that wouldn't have been possible otherwise. One caveat in the story, somehow, both Dave and I, we were ready to receive this honest feedback from one another. And so you kind of have to think about whether someone is ready to have an honest conversation is something you have to consider when thinking about your interpersonal relationships. But 
you don't need to be concerned about that with God. He is always prepared to receive your honest prayers. Similarly, uh, to my experience with Dave, I see in this passage a remarkable transparency that breeds intimacy. Honesty cultivates intimacy, whether it's with others or with God, our creator. Our transparency gives way to a closeness that's not available otherwise. And this can be uh, clearly, most clearly seen when we're sharing our hurts, our disappointments and, and doubts even. Now, this idea of questioning God, as, as Asaph does, it may still feel uncomfortable for you. And I understand that. And I read this book a few years ago uh, by Johnny Erickson Tata and, and Stephen Estes. It's called uh, When God Weeps, Why Our Suffering Matters to the Almighty. And in this, they address why this questioning of God is actually a good thing. This is what they say. They say, gut-wrenching questions honor God. Despair directed at God is a way of encountering him. Opening ourselves up to the one and only someone who can actually do something about our plight. And whether we collide with the Almighty or simply bump up against him, we cannot be the same. We never are when we experience God. So you see, these questions honor God because they turn our gaze upward. And ultimately, the answers to these questions are found as we search God's word for understanding. I challenge you today, bring th those honest feelings to God. He's big enough to receive them, but not only that, he longs to show you compassion as you bring them to him. And one side note, and this is a bonus that I believe is it's really important to note, I mentioned how this psalm is, a, is kind of a public reading of Asaph's struggle. Might we have the courage to share our struggles, our own struggles with one another? Might we have the humility to share our hurts, our grief, our doubts, our wrestlings with God with one another? William Cooper had John Newton. I have Dave, a close friend and confidant who's a mature believer. Do you have anyone who you can be completely honest with? We believe at City Church, our church, churches, they're not a, they're not a place for perfect people. It's a hospital for sick people who need healing. And the church is a place for sinners who need a savior. And once we see our church community this way, we'll, we'll share our struggles. And we can bear the sufferings of others together as God intends. So this morning, are you being honest with yourself, with God, with others? Or do you feel the loneliness that comes with hiding your grief, your hurts, your doubts? Friends, bring those out into the light. Honest wrestling of these feelings cultivates intimacy in our relationships with God and others that otherwise won't be there. So far, we've seen in Asaph this progression. We saw this confident crying out to God. We, we saw the spiraling despair and doubt. But then he stops looking inward. He stops playing this comparison game of what he used to have and what he doesn't have, so to speak. And he lifts his head up to God. And this is where everything changes. And we see our second reflection. Listen. Asaph begins to listen. What I mean by listening is Asaph chooses to make an appeal to his own doubts and questions by looking at the truth of God's character and promises. He is actively remembering, it, says, it uses the words remember, ponder, meditate on the works, wonders, and deeds of the Lord. This is verses 10 through 15 that it's addressing this. 
This is very much connected to the promise we find in Psalm 1 from a few weeks ago. Remember that the blessed one, the blessed man is the one who meditates on God's word. Asaph is meditating on these wonders of old found in the Torah. He's remembering the covenants that God has made with his people throughout history and how God has kept these promises. He's remembering how God has, even in the present day, taken care of him and the people of Israel. And this leads Asaph to a very different place than where he started. He's now worshiping God. Asaph has a change of heart. He moves from doubt to trust. Your way, O God, is holy. He moves from mostly speaking in terms of I and me and and my to you and your. He's no longer looking inward to himself to find answers, but looking upward to God. And I have to admit, I often feel more like the Asif of the first section of this psalm than this one. And some of you know um, my story, but for those who aren't aware, I've struggled for years with um, recurring depression. I didn't realize it was depression for a long time, but I know I've gone through at least four kind of seasons of fairly significant depression in my life as an adult. And every time I went through it, I'd always try to negotiate myself out of it. You know, I'd say like, if I go to counseling, if if I eat better, if I sleep better, if I exercise more, then I would be free of this depression. All, All of those are good things and often very necessary for seasons of depression. But I would run to those first and sometimes only and not to God. And every time I sought for answers outside of God to help alleviate this despair. And it was this latest bout of depression, and it was probably two or three years ago now. This is this latest bout of depression that there came a turning point. It came upon me. I was so frustrated with God. I was frustrating, frustrated it was happening again. I was exhausted. I, I remember having a conversation with a mentor, and I, and I was just saying, I'm like, if this continues, what will, what will I be like in five years? Will I, will I even be here in five years? That's when, in that season, when I started to cry out to God. That's when I stopped looking inward and started looking upward. And I, and I admit, it's not as if like my prayer and Bible study life somehow increased miraculously overnight. Um, but when I read God's word, it was out of a, of a desire to know him better. It was out of a desire to try to understand how he could love me. It was a seeking of the Lord in a way that I hadn't previously experienced in my depression. And this is when I started to see my circumstances in a different light. No longer did I see my depression as a burden or a curse. I actually, I started to see it as a way that the Lord was lovingly correcting me. You may think it's odd to see depression as a blessing, but hear me out, at least for my situation. God, in his loving kindness, he saw my state. He saw how independently I was operating from him. He took me through these seasons of depression because he knew it's what I needed to bring me to a place of seeking him. And some of you may be going through a season of depression or doubt, despair. And you may be hearing this thinking, how can you see this as a gift? And I get that. I'm not, I'm not making a blanket statement. What he's teaching me through my depression may not be what you need to learn. But I do know that God does not waste any of these circumstances. And there's something that he wants you to learn. 
to appreciate, maybe even something he wants you to, to let go of or repent of. But just like Asaph, when I started seeking the Lord through prayer and his word, my heart changed. The depression didn't go away immediately, and it, and it may certainly come back. But I know how God has used it to bring me closer to him. So there's two points of application from Asaph's account here, two points that I certainly understand from experience, and I hope that you can see in this passage. First is, in our despair, we must remember the promises of God. But not only remember, we need to savor. We need to to feed on God's word. Let it penetrate our broken hearts. We need to soak in the scriptures through meditation and memorization. But why? Why should we do this? Well, that's the second point of application. Because remembering promises kept gives us hope in God's promises yet to be fulfilled. You don't see Asaph experiencing joy in the strict sense though he does come to a point of worshiping God. He's not saying, praise God or shout for joy or some other phrase we often see in the Psalms. But his change in perspective is noteworthy. Asaph is able to endure current circumstances because his eyes are on God and trust that God will keep his future promises, even if that means taking Asaph through trials. Which leads us to our final point. Asaph begins to trust. He begins to trust God. To end this psalm, this is verses 16 through 20, to end this psalm, we see Asaph painting a picture to reinforce the points he has just made in the previous verses. He's actually, all this very descriptive uh, imagery, he's combining elements of the Mount Sinai event and the Red Sea event for the people of Israel. And he's showing God's power and wisdom and grace for his people. And one specific phrase that really popped out at me He says, your way was through the sea. I believe Asaph has a double meaning here. He's talking specifically about the Red Sea, of course, but he's also talking about affliction more generally. We see the Bible refer to affliction in this way in other places. Psalm 43, 2, it says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and The flame shall not consume you. God sends us on a path that will take us through affliction, but he doesn't send us alone. Christ is right there with us. As Christians, we know the entire story of the Bible. We know that it's centered around Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the law and prophets. So we must ask ourselves, what does Psalm 77 have to do with Jesus? And I have two thoughts. Um, First, Jesus experienced despair, right? I'm reminded of the distress he experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cries out to the Lord, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. The intensity of the, uh, the despair he experienced is so much more than anything we've dealt with. So he experienced despair. Secondly, though, he experienced abandonment from God. He cries out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung there dying. This, again, reinforces what the author of Hebrews writes when he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then, 
the author concludes, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, we have a God who not only tells us his way is through the sea, but his way was through the sea. Christ went through the sea just like us. We don't worship a God who is detached from those he has created. He's not a king who has no idea how his people feel. We have a savior who understands how we are feeling and is with us in this battle. And he is with you this morning. As your head hangs low and you are on your knees, unsure if you will be able to stand back up, he lifts your head and he says, I get it. This is tough. Let me help you. I've got you. When we look to Christ, we see one who can relate to us in every possible way and understands our hearts and pains. But not only that, he is also able to carry us when we feel we cannot take another step. It's interesting, Asaph uses the, he uses a shepherding imagery at the very end, just like very quickly glosses over it, but it's there. And we need to remember that indeed Christ is our shepherd who leads us through the water. Not as one who cannot relate, but as one who knows exactly how we feel in the moment. I read this book a, a few years ago by John Piper called Suffering in the Sovereignty of God. And contributor Dustin Schrammick has this beautiful illustration that I want to share with you about kind of experiencing seasons of despair. He says, experiencing grief and pain is like falling off a cliff. Everything has been turned upside down and we're no longer in control. As we fall, we see one and only one tree that's growing out from the rock face. So we grab hold of it and we cling to it with all our might. This tree is our holy God. He alone can keep us from falling headfirst to our doom. There simply aren't any other trees to grab. So we cling to this tree, the holy God, with all our might. But what we didn't realize is that when we fell and grabbed the tree, our arm actually became entangled in the branches so that in reality, the tree is holding us. We hold on to keep from falling, but what we don't realize is that we can't fall because the tree has us. We are safe. God in his holiness is keeping us and showing mercy to us. We may not be aware of it, but it's true. He is with us even in the deepest and darkest pit. And if you don't know this holy God, if you've never experienced the saving work of Jesus Christ in your own life, today is the day. He's here for you. He longs for you to stop trying to process your struggles on your own, to lean on him for strength. He carried a cross to Calvary and died for you. How much more will he carry you when you are in anguish? Turn to him in repentance and faith this morning. I know there are many here who could talk to you about that. If you want to talk with a pastor and elder, I'd love to talk or connect with you. Ryan or one of our other elders would love to as well. But I want to end with a reading of uh, William Cooper's hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Listen to the words of a man who battled his entire life with feelings of abandonment and despair. It says, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, 
He fashions up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Amen.